0: All right, turn with me to the book of Hebrews. I'm going to start a new series here. A new series on confession or the doctrine of confession. And this may go a couple different directions. Let's go Hebrews chapter 10 first. we We're going to, After we look at two verses in Hebrews, we're going to jump back to the Old Testament and start to build this doctrine of confession. Our mouth is a very vital tool. The book of James tells us it's a powerful member set among us. It can set on fire the course of nature. Our mouth can set a forest fire that burns our destiny down and burns people around us. The Bible tells us that our mouth has blessing and cursing in it, and we need to know how to use it. We also need to know how to use it in our relationship with God and one another. We cannot be reckless in our mouths, and I'm not talking about being super spooky like we were to Faith folks where uh, we can't even admit that we're fighting something. We have taken the the doctrine of positive confession by that we don't mean juju magumbo, but we mean declaring the word we've taken that and we've allowed the sin nature of superstition to take us too far so that when you uh, might be sick we didn't want to say that we were fighting sickness so we might say well how you doing brother and you know you're bleeding out of your nose and your eye is gooping orange stuff and uh you ha- you hear the ocean in both your ears and i've heard folks say oh brother i'm catching a healing Just want to gag me with a spoon i'm catching a healing and that was our subtle way of like wink wink nod nod if you can't tell i'm sick as a dog and i'd have to die to get better but we, t- we took that doctrine which was sound and made it goofy why can't we just be honest how are you doing Well, i'm fighting some symptoms Go to the doctor tomorrow. I'm on three prescriptions. Hopefully they'll run out soon and I'll be better, but I ain't quitting. Why, we just took it too far. We took it into a ditch. Everything needs to be pruned from time to time. And then once you prune stuff, you gotta come back and water it so it can grow healthy again. So we're gonna kind of reset a few things, not too much. Some of us have never heard the doctrine of confession, but it's all throughout the Bible. We're gonna be judged for our words, Jesus Christ. Now remember, we can't forget that God man because he's our savior. Fully God, fully man. Jesus Christ said, by your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned and you will give an account for every idle word spoken. So these things aren't just to be used willy-nilly. We want to be careful and at the same time, we also want to be real. There's nothing wrong with saying, I hurt or I'm tired or I'm scared. Now, if that's all you ever say, you may need to adjust that. We understand we can have what we say. Jesus Christ, the God-man, also said you can have what you say. So that's part of why we have that foundation, and it kind of grew weird over here. Here in Hebrews chapter 10, let's look at a few verses, and then I want to go back to the beginning. We won't go to Genesis to look at how God confessed and spoke and declared things into existence. But we'll go back to the law, beginning in Leviticus in a few moments, and we'll look at confession there, because that's the best place to start. Hebrews chapter 10 it says in verse 22. Oh, verse 21, because this will tie back to it. Having a high priest over the house of God. Who is that? Jesus. Jesus. Okay, remember, this is cookful, so you have to push back against religion this morning. We have a high priest over the house of God. Who is that? Jesus. Oh, praise God. So you are here and awake, and you do know who I'm talking about. Just want to make sure we're all on the same page. Let us draw near with a true heart. Because we have this wonderful high priest over the house of God, we can, and we're commanded to draw near, not stay away. Amen. Draw near to him, draw near to the house of God. We don't have permission to retreat. Hebrews goes on to say at the end of this chapter, "When out of those that draw back. Here it says we draw near. Amen. Because Jesus is the high priest, we come closer. Yes. He's not the weird, ugly uncle you don't like, <laughs> or the- the weird music minister from the 80s with the man perm. We had one of those growing up. I remember even thinking as a nine-year-old, dude, you permed your hair. Why would you do that? And I hear it's back in style now with the TikTok folks. Why would you do that? You look like a head of broccoli. So we draw near because Jesus is over the house of God. And we draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. So there ought to be some confidence. If you know who your Savior is, there ought to be a lot of confidence there. I don't get Christians who lack confidence, except for maybe to say they haven't really gotten to know their God yet. I get it. When you're first saved, you don't know your God, but the longer you walk with Him, the more you should know Him. The longer you work for a boss, the more confident you are with Mr. AJ around here, he's in my office constantly. He doesn't have a problem standing up and saying, I don't agree with that, Pastor. I think we should do this. But if you tell me to do it that way, I'll do it that way. He doesn't have a problem telling me where he thinks I'm about to make a mistake or what he thinks we should do. But he didn't start off that way. Right. He started off very fearful and honorable and at arm's distance. But as we've gotten to work together and know each other for seven or eight years, or however long it's been, he doesn't have a problem. And I don't, he doesn't ever disrespect me. The point is he's gotten to know me, so he draws through closer with confidence. We ought to be the same way with our God, especially when we know him. He's a loving, merciful God. He wants to forgive us and cleanse us and help us. What we typically do, though, till we grow up and out of it, we fall apart and we retreat. We sin and we retreat. We've missed the mark. We retreat. We fail God. We know we fail God. And then we retreat. And that's not the will of God. It's the worst thing you can do. If we were to rank sin, running from God when you sin is worse than the sin you sin to run from God. So just know you failed, all right? Now what? You don't run. That's worse than what you just did. So how do I fix my failure? I get up and I march into the presence of God. He's not going to take a big paddle out like in grade school and wear your bum out. He's going to say, let's talk about it and let's get this thing cleaned up. You're, because you already know that what you did is wrong, he doesn't have to thump you. you. You're already thumped in your heart, which is why you want to run. So having this high priest, Jesus Christ... We're to draw near with a true heart. That doesn't mean it's a perfect heart. It just means honest. It doesn't mean it's sinless. We're always going to have to deal with our heart. Our heart is desperately wicked incurably sick. It says true heart or pure heart, not a perfect, sin-free heart. That's not going to ever happen. A heart that says, Lord, have mercy on me. Uh, We've got to have honesty in our lives. One of the things we're going to see this morning with these handful of verses is that honesty is the key to confession. One of the worst things we do with our mouth is lie. And as Southerners, we've mastered it and we call it hospitality. We call it being, I just, you know, just didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I would rather inadvertently hurt your feelings and be honest with you than lie to you. And we get so sometimes in our cultures, we get so practiced in lying. We take it into the throne room of God rather than saying, Lord, I don't want to do this. Lord, I'm scared. Lord, I failed you. I enjoyed it when I failed you. felt good to give them a piece of my mind. Instead of being honest, we just put up this facade, and that's not what the Lord's wanting. He's wanting a true heart, confidence of faith, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water because you ought to be clean. And that doesn't mean take a bath, though you should take a bath. But I understand sometimes you may be out in the backcountry backpacking, or maybe you're on a man trip or something, or folks in Florida right now, not getting to take a bath that's not the problem. Having your bodies washed with pure water, living clean lives to the best of your ability. Verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. So in this line of commands, drawing near, having our hearts sprinkled, having our bodies washed, we're also commanded to hold fast the profession of our faith. Your faith is something you talk about. Don't let any of these religious fools out there say, well, you know, my relationship with God's a private thing. That's not biblical. Jesus said, what I show you in private, shout it from the rooftops. Shout it from the rooftops. Well, you know, Jesus said, go to the prayer closet. You show me once where he did. He didn't pray in no closet. Prayed in the garden in front of everybody. They knew where to find him to arrest him. It was out in the open. Prayed in the temple. Prayed outside the temple wall. Prayed outside everywhere he went. Prayed in front of multitudes. So there's something more than just praying in your prayer closet. They want us to go in the closet while they come out. If you get to come out, I get to stay out. Amen. Amen. I feel like that's pretty good preaching. (laughs) So we we hold fast the profession of our faith. It's good to practice confessing your faith. What do you mean by that? Preach to yourself. What do you believe? Practice getting around people and just practicing your faith. Get around folks who don't believe. Have a conversation. You college students, everybody's into this equity, inclusivity, diversity. Be included. Be part of their diverse pudding. When they talk about what they believe in, say, well, let me tell you what I believe in since we're getting our equal time now. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe He's the promised Savior of Israel. I believe he was manifested in the fullness of time to redeem wicked mankind from their sin. I believe he was crucified on a Roman cross, died, descended into hell, and on the third day was resurrected for our justification. And I believe whosoever calls upon his name shall be saved. And I believe he'll save you if you'll humble yourself too and confess of your sin. See how that goes for psychology 101. Or any other class that, you know, I thought this was calculus. No, no, no this is CRT. Well, that what does CRT have to do with calculus? Nothing. I'm here to indoctrinate you. Well, let me tell you what I believe, Professor Moron. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son. And just keep practicing it. That's the profession of your faith. You keep professing and keep professing and keep professing. If, if we're not careful, we'll slowly go quiet and not even realize it. The term, we've all heard the term now, maybe, hopefully, the term gaslighting. Where That's where you slowly ignore somebody and change the narrative on them. It's taken from, I believe, a French play, which was all about a husband who drove his wife crazy back from a play where they had the old natural gas lamps. And what he did to drive her crazy so he could get away from her uh, in the story of the play is he would just every night turn the gas down a little lower and a little lower so she thought her eyes were going bad. At her. Is it just me or is it getting darker in here? No, I don't know what you're talking about. So he drove her crazy. Slowly turning the gas lamps down. So now we've adopted that in modern terms being gaslit. Or all of a sudden they're acting like, no, I didn't say that to you. Well, what happens if we're not careful? We can slowly gaslight our own faith. We don't take a bold stand anymore. We don't confess it anymore. We don't proclaim it anymore. We don't want to rock the boat. Every one of you, because you're living in 21st century America, you're being indoctrinated with critical race theory, inclusivity, blah, 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 blah. That's their doctrine. It's their gospel. They'll go to hell with it. The Jews teach, we celebrate Passover because it delivered us from natural slavery. They said, but we celebrate uh, Pentecost, or what they call Sakat, because that's when the law was given, and that's when we celebrate mental slavery, celebration, the deliverance of mental slavery. And the point was this, Passover delivered us from Egypt it got us out of slavery. The law got slavery out of us. And if people don't want free from mental slavery, you can't help them, no matter how much you command them to be part of a quota or to be inclusive. So all of you, you're being like, this junk's being crammed down your throat like the sausage factory. Like Let's put some rice in there. Let's put some liver in there. Let's put some Chicken guts in there, and let's put some rats in there and some right. Yeah, all this being crammed down your throat, and if it hasn't yet, it will be. So just be part of the inclusive package and say, well, since we're talking diverse, let me be a color on the rainbow. I'm the one here that believes Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Promised One of Israel, that He is exclusive, and without Him, you'll all go to hell. That includes you, Mr. Hindu, you, Mr. Mormon, you, Mr. what have you. Rock their boat. They're the ones that preach inclusivity, so see if they'll include you if they'll be hypocrites. We want to be diverse. Well, let me be a diverse voice. All voices matter. Mine? No, no, you're a white guy who's got a right-handed, and you live with a woman who's your wife, and you have kids the normal, old-fashioned way. Nope. You're a threat to society. (laughs) I built society. (laughs) You're the one burning it to the ground with your victim mindset. Hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering. Don't even stammer. You may have to practice this. We're all going to be called upon to make a confession of faith. What do you believe? Don't even apologize for it. Don't even apologize for it. I was in this uh, chaplaincy training this last week, and we had some CRT training which I really thought, well, this is not going to go over well because I know these preachers now, we've spent a couple of days in here together. this holy ghost in here. These are holy men of God. I got so, so pleased with my fellow ministers. And, you know, I probably had to speak up a little bit too and raise my hand and just contribute to the dialogue. And they said, uh, you know, when you're going to offer prayer so as to not exclude anybody, i I'm, like, I'm not going to exclude anybody. You can get in on this prayer if you want to. I don't know how this works. I pray in our church in the name of Jesus. Not everybody gets in on it. They said, You may want to say, Well, I'm about to speak from my faith tradition. And the men in that room did exactly what you just did. What? <laughs> That's to apologize in advance should I offend you when I wrap this thing up with, And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's wavering. I'd like to offer a word of prayer to the divine. I'm going to come to you from my faith tradition as a Christian. And I told the lady, if my lapel says chapel and it has a cross on it, they know whose name I'm about to pray and I don't got to qualify nothing. So we don't waver. Your job is to be bold. Not rude, but not wavering. You don't flicker. You say, no, I believe in Jesus. Well, uh, well, do you believe he's the only way? Absolutely. Hallelujah. Well, that sounds exclusive. Yeah, he is very exclusive. He's exclusive, but the invitation still stands. So if you exclude yourself, that's on you, not him. But he's the gate. He's the only way. I'm just repeating what he said. I didn't make the rules. I just learned how to follow him. <laughs> we hold fast this profession of our faith without wavering. And you and I are watching Christians slowly gaslight their confession so they don't get ostracized. They're so they've been, We've been sipping this whole woke Kool-Aid for so long, the whole CRT inclusivity thing, which is all about getting Christians to shut up with the truth, that we're afraid that if we speak up, we might be excluded. Well, if this is a real true gospel that these politicians, media, academic types are giving us, some of you still ascribe to it a little bit, you should repent for your lunacy. If it was really all about exclus- or inclusivity, we don't want to exclude anybody, then I should be able to be bold about my faith and still be included. But you and I know they don't want to include us, which is fine because if the world hates me, I'm right with God. So we hold fast this profession of our faith. We don't waver. Not even a ripple of a breeze on a placid lake. You just stand there in the middle like a giant rock jutting out. You make the waves it's fun to make people uncomfortable with the name of Jesus. And to be honest with you, us in that classroom, we made the teacher uncomfortable and we brought her to tears. And all we did was say, ma'am, Jesus is the only name. We're not apologizing for it, no matter what you teach us. And if the chief fires us, so be it. We're volunteers anyway. You weren't paying me anything. You're not going to take anything away from me. I feel bad because she's a sweet lady, but we brought her to tears, and I was so proud of those men saying, you're not cramming this down our throat. Now, come to Hebrews chapter 3. People ought to know who you are, where you stand. It'll help some of you to finally get off social media because you're too much of a coward to be on there with a loud voice. Now, I would almost say, you know, get on social media if you can preach there, but most of you demonstrated you don't know how to preach anywhere, much less social media, where all you have to do is type something with your thumbs. When your thumbs are coward, you don't stand a chance. You were given an opposable digit to grip things. You can't even grip the gospel and type the name of Jesus. Yeah, We're watching folks gaslight their faith over middle school peer pressure because they want to be liked and accepted. you got to sit down next to people say, I have what you need. You have nothing I desire. Jesus Christ taught his disciples, hopefully that's you and I, he said, when you come up to somebody, tell them the kingdom of God has just come near you because the kingdom of God is within you. So if the kingdom of God is with me everywhere I go and I'm commanded by my savior to tell folks, hey, by the way, the kingdom just came close. Did you feel it? Then they have nothing I need and every, I have everything they do need. So why would I be afraid of what they think of me? I'm not going to apologize. I'm not going to waver. It's a commandment. I don't have permission to waver. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, hopefully that's you, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Interesting, it calls him the high priest of our profession. This... Automatically takes us back to the Old Testament to the typology of the temple and the priests in those days. And this helps us uh, build the doctrine of confession and profession. It isn't uh, just the so-called name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, say it and rhyme something with it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that gets into be a little bit of Juju Magumbo and a little bit of witchcraft. I'm of the conviction, and most of you are. If the Bible says I can have it, I can have it. I may have to pray for it for a long time to get it, but if the Bible says I can have it, I'm going to declare it. Job says, declare a thing, it shall be established unto you. Jesus said in Mark 11, you can have what you say. And uh, we want to make sure it lines up with the word of God. But let's look at this doctrine of the high priest of our profession. Go to Leviticus. What does it mean to consider the apostle and high priest? And why does that proceed by six chapters? What we just said about having therefore a high priest, Jesus Christ over the house of God, let us come boldly, let us come assuredly, let us come with confidence. What does it mean when he is our high priest, and how does that relate to our confession or our profession? Leviticus chapter 5, are you guys ready back there on a a NASB? Pull up New American Standard. I'm going to read this Leviticus 5 out of the New American Standard. It'll help better. I preach out of the King James, but the New American Standard uh, is a little bit clearer on this. Leviticus chapter 5. The very, let me give you the introduction here. We'll start in verse 1. Um, the very first place we see confession as a doctrine is when it comes to sin. Now, I do find it interesting right now that in our modern hyper-grace era, by hyper-grace we mean the heresy of hyper-grace, we have folks teaching us we don't have to confess sin anymore. And so to that, that's easily debunked. Do you say you're sorry to your wife? Do you expect your children to say they're sorry to you? If we don't confess our sin one to another, or if we don't have to confess our sin to Jesus, we shouldn't have to confess our sin one to another. But we can always point out their grace doctrine never matches their home life. Apologies go a long way. And you can save a lot of pain by saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And who more should we say that to than God Almighty? I know he died for us. I know he has cleansed us, but we also have New Testament scripture that says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you might be healed. So part of the foundational part of our doctrine of confession is confessing sin. So here is Leviticus 5, verse 1. Let's read a couple verses here. Now, if a person sins after he hears a public order, To testify when he is a witness, whether he is seen or otherwise known, if he does not tell it, then he will bear his punishment. So here it is. He didn't realize he'd overheard an oath and he's called to testify. Uh, He's going to have to fess up to this. What we're about to see are three sins that initially you didn't realize you had committed. But the theme of these five verses are once you realize you committed a sin, you have to go make it right. That's the context of these five verses. Verse two, or if a person touches any unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean animal, or the carcass of unclean cattle, or a carcass of unclean swarming things, though it is hidden from him and he is unclean, then he will be guilty. Or if he touches human uncleanness of whatever sort his uncleanness may be, which he beco- uh, with which he becomes unclean, and it is hidden from him, and then he comes to know it, he will be guilty or if a person swears thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good, and whatever matter, people speak thoughtlessly with an oath, and it is hidden from him, and then he comes to know it, he will be guilty of one of these things. So it shall be when he becomes guilty of one of these things that he shall confess that in which he has sinned. So here's the premise. This is the first time the word confess is used in the Bible, and it's related to sin. The whole premise is, You've committed a sin. You didn't realize it. You didn't realize you were called to testify and you didn't show up. You didn't realize you touched an unclean animal. You didn't realize you sat next to a woman who was on her cycle because that's a a, a condition of uncleanness. You don't realize that you foolishly gave your word. That's what an oath is. But now you've come to know it. You were unclean all along. Now you've come to know it. The Bible says very clearly, you have to confess it. Now that you know it, the commandment's simple. It's just confess it. Acknowledge it. Lord, I touched that unclean thing. Forgive me. Lord, I gave my word. I didn't even realize it. How many of you, your kids, are good at reminding you that, Daddy, you said, and that's a, it's a good training tool if you'll use it. If your kids hold you to your word, you obey it, and then you'll be reminded when you hold God to his word, he will hearken Amen. and obey your remembrance of his word. He said, put me in remembrance. He's not a man that he should lie. So this whole, this first example of confession is you didn't realize you were wrong. And then it came to light. The first thing you do is you will confess that in, in which he, you've sinned. And all the Lord is looking for is you and I to call sin, sin. It may be you, and maybe you put it in the New Testament, you get called out on the carpet, as we say, or you get rebuked, and you, 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 were, you were informed, you hurt my feelings yesterday, and you didn't realize you had. You were cutting up. everybody's having a good time, but you happened to throw a, a joke out there. You didn't realize it really offended and violated somebody's heart. You go home. You feel great. Go home. Worship the Lord. You go home. Have pizza. Hang out with your family. Awesome. Until the next day at church, your, your friend says, I, you hurt my heart. What you said really offended me, and I'm struggling with it. Your job is now to say, forgive me. I offended you. Not, I'll get over it. I'll loosen up. They're doing the Bible by bringing it to you. That's Matthew 18. Now we do the Bible say, please forgive me. You know what? It might even be a good act of humility to go and call everybody in that conversation and say, listen, we got into some rough joking yesterday. Not even vulgar, just, you know, picking on each other. And I said a mama joke, which by the way, today is now a yo birth in person joke. kids are going to be robbed of some good playground humor. Your birth person. I was throwing that mama joke out there. You know, we were all laughing and I really offended somebody. So if I offended you, please forgive me. And I'd probably go down the line and wouldn't text because that's cowardly. The young generation doesn't know how to make eye contact anymore or talk on the phone and they don't know how to communicate. Even when they'd use their thumbs, it's, there's no vowels. There's emojis and faces and you know and arrows and you can't even use some of these anymore because they have a thousand layers of meaning and half of them are gay and the other half are perverse and so you're trying to say hey what's up and like you just invited me to gay sex (laughs) well you know I didn't so just shut up and ask the Lord to forgive you for being so indoctrinated by this perverse generation (laughs) when you find out you've done something wrong you don't make an excuse the commandment is confess father forgive me our natural recourse, our natural uh, reaction, is to try to justify it, and we've all been there. No, 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 that can't be the Lord dealing with me. That's that wasn't so wrong. That wasn't bad, was it? And then we'll start to ask people, Was that wrong? Did I do wrong? Should I have to repent for that when you already know full well you need to? All the Lord says is confess. And what's interesting in this passage is once it becomes known. Now you're responsible. You have to confess, and then it goes on to give the prescription for the sin offering. And it basically says, and if you can't afford those animals, get some turtle doves. And if you can't afford turtle doves, get this. And if you can't afford that, just bring a handful of fine flour. It it strips every excuse possible out of the life of the sinner. The Lord's just saying, just call it what it is. Just call it what it is and pay the price. That's the first introduction we have in the Bible to confession. It isn't claiming wealth. It isn't claiming healing. It's calling ourselves a sinner in the eyes of God that He might be true and we're the liar, that we might overcome when we're judged and get the victory when we're brought before Him. What it does is it teaches us to divorce every excuse. If you're wrong, you're just wrong. Pastor John Osteen said just shut up and plead guilty. Please forgive me. We say, fall on the sword. Forgive me. I shouldn't have said it. Instead of saying, man, toughen up. Or going around to four or five people and say, let me tell you how I offended them. To see if everybody will jump on your team and agree with you that they're the weak one. When they're the one that did the word and got over their insecurity bring it to you to obey Matthew 18, that they might gain a brother. But they didn't gain a brother. They exposed what a fool we were. Because we're still justifying why we're in sin. The Bible says, when you know that you're guilty, verse 5, You will confess that in which you have sinned. And then, verse 6 says, you will bring the guilt offering. Do you know why you bring a guilt offering? Because you're guilty. The Lord does this as we grow in Christ. We get away with stuff today. We will not be able to get away with tomorrow. You'll grow, and he'll deal with you, and you'll advance, and you'll look back, and you'll cringe at how you used to act 10 years ago, 5 years ago. If you look back a year from now, and today doesn't make you cringe in some capacity, you probably didn't grow any. But once you're guilty, and you know you're guilty, you say, Father, forgive me. I'm guilty. So I I want you to see, once this is made known, you have to atone for it. Now, if you jump down to verse 13, you bring this offering to the, the high priest. Verse 13, so the priest shall make atonement for you concerning your sin which you have committed from one of these and you will be forgiven by him then the rest shall become the priest that is the offering like the grain offering so think about that verse we looked at in Hebrews 3 Jesus Christ the high priest of our confession who receives our confession today? Jesus not a priest now I don't disagree that there is a place where you do need to confess your sin like James says one to another that means if I sin against Gert I confess my sin to Gert Maybe if I need a counselor or a discipler, or maybe the pastor, and you've sinned against Sarah and you don't know what to do, you'll come talk to me, or maybe a mentor, a discipler, they'll say, You need to go take that to Sarah. There is a place, there is a place of catharsis where you confess it and you get it out in the open. But let's be very clear. Men are not the high priest. We don't have a priesthood. We're all high priests in that regard, according to Peter. We're kings and priests because we make intercession for the world around us. But now The the person, the priest that receives our confession, when we realize we're guilty, is Jesus Christ. We don't bring him a goat or two turtle doves or a handful of fine flour. We bring him our heart of contrition. He's not looking for the blood of bulls and goats. He's looking for the contrite heart. And that's what we bring him as an offering. That's why Hebrews 10 said that we're to go into his presence boldly and hold fast our confession. In that regard, the confession is, Lord, I was guilty. If we ever stop calling sin, sin, we begin to waver in our profession. And when you begin to waver in what is sin and what is not sin, you'll begin to drift toward that sin. We're watching the church do it with sexual morality and biblical sexuality. And a lot of pastors and denominations now are saying, we are now pro gay, we're pro gay marriage. What they did is they stopped calling sin, sin. They're trying to change the Bible's tone. We don't have permission to change the Bible's tone, language, or doctrine. It does not change. The Greek manuscripts are still available. You can use all sorts of Bible apps to see what they say for yourself, and they don't change. It's modern man that's changing. We hold fast the confession of our sin. What we often do is we get convicted of something. Let me nail all of us here. God convicts us of something five years ago, and now today we let it back in our life. We we stopped holding fast the profession of the thing we repented of five years ago. Maybe it's the caliber of movie we watch. God convicted us of entertainment five years ago, and we were so disgusted that we cleaned out our Blu-ray collection, our DVD collection, and maybe our video games. And now five years later, that stuff has slowly, like the ripples of a lake, has brought it back into our life. Not the ones we got rid of. No, no, the newest versions of these kind of movies and stories. If the Lord convicts you of it 10 years ago, you should still be convicted of it. If the Lord told you to walk away from that style of music 10 years ago or that band. It, the, the prohibition still holds as long as you hold fast your profession. If you had to repent of it then, it's still sin today. God doesn't say, well, you're old enough and more mature now. You can watch more porn. You can, you're mature enough now. You can listen to that music that puts you in those fornicating beds. You're, you're safe now. If he ever convicted you and you were in tears and sackcloth and ashes and you confessed, oh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Please forgive me, Lord. I'm so sorry. Why would you go back to that friendship? Why would you let them back in now? Well, they've changed. No, they haven't. You've changed. You and I lower our standards if we don't hold fast the profession of our faith. How does that relate to sin? When you're convicted of sin, your faith is that is sin and I am a sinner. I believe, therefore I confess. In that moment, your faith was, I'm a sinner. God, forgive me. i got to get cleansed of this. But what happens is over time, our faith is drifted. That's why we must hold fast the confession of our faith. And if we were ever guilty of it then, if we do it today, we're still guilty. God still feels the same way, but maybe our conscience has been seared. You're off the quiet because you're thinking about the movies you watched this weekend or the DVDs you've been buying. I was talking uh, recently... With somebody, they said, uh, hey, we watched this movie. It was really good. I said, well, okay, is it, is it clean? He said, well, a little bit of a sex scene in the opening and a bunch of F-bombs and some violence. But beyond that, it's a great movie. And so I said, so other than the pornography, the F-bombs and the, the ultraviolence, I'd enjoy it. Yeah. Right. Well, I don't think I'll be watching it. And to be honest, I don't think they should watch it either or own it. Why use God's money to buy pornography and F bombs? 20 bucks for a Blu ray, I don't know, and download 19 bucks, whatever it is. How about 20 bucks to a missionary? We've really deluded ourselves if we think we can't live without this entertainment anymore. It adds nothing to your life, so you've got to laugh out of it. Well, tickle your kids in the floor. It's free laughing. Yeah. And I don't know. Just be clean. But the reason someone like that will let that into their life is their conscience has become to sear, and they don't hold fast the profession of the faith. Even when I said it back to them, so besides the pornography, the sex scene in the opening, and all the F-bombs, it's a really funny movie, and I would enjoy it. But if I have to step through that minefield, and like the buffet is great. Just overlook the maggots in that tray, the roadkill there, and that, that port-a-pot stew thing. Just everything else on the buffet. Awesome. How do you pick and choose? How, how do you? When, when you haven't seen the movie before, you never know when they're going to cut to another... Sex scene when they're going to cut to another, you know, F bomb and some anti Christ joke, and and then a bullet in the head and blood splattering. And we think that's if we hold the fast, the profession of our faith, we won't go back that way. That creeps in because we drift without wavering. Hebrews says, actually, all of it's in Hebrews, let us. Uh, hold fast this doctrine lest at any time we let it slip. And the word let it slip has two word pictures in the Greek, to leak out of cracked vessels. So it's just kind of when you have a crack in your coffee cup and you can't see it, but you keep picking it up and there's another ring of coffee and you wipe it down and it just keeps leaking out of a cracked vessel. You can't see it draining, but it is. But the other mean is to drift away like a boat that's been unmoored. And so we use the example, if you have a boat tied to a dock, and you unloose the boat, it's unmoored now, it was untied from its moorings, the waves slowly drifted away. And as long as you keep your eye on it, you can always reach over, grab, and pull the boat close. Even a huge boat, even a big boat, except for you get to like cruise ships, even a, a 50, 60-foot vessel, you can reach over and just about pull it with your own hand. As long as you keep attention, you can keep pulling yourself and pulling yourself. Should you fall asleep, not pay attention. Blink twice and you're a hundred feet away from where you were anchored and you can't get back. That's a faith that wavers. What we have to do is make sure if we were ever convicted of it, and hopefully we're thinking right now, what did the last thing the Lord convict me of? What was I severely convicted of in this church 12 years ago when we came through judgment month? What did I purge? What have I allowed to seep back in? Where's my faith developed leaks and I've lost the the, the, the profession of my faith, and now I let things in I would have never let in when I was on fire for God. I let people stay with me. I would never let stay with anybody else because I think I'm Superman, and I can handle this round of kryptonite. No, you can't. You're just disobedient, five years removed, five year, more years wasted. No. If he said no, then it's still no today. There's no variableness of him. There's no shadow of turning. He doesn't say, all right, you wore me down. Daddy's going to give you ice cream. We have to balance with our kids. We want them to be tenacious, but there's times I say, look, you ask me again. I'm going to wear your bum out. I said, no, and I mean no. God's it perfect. There are things we keep knocking on the door for, and he'll give. There's other things that he'll never open up, never permit, because they're sinful and the forever settled under heaven as sinful. You and I need to make sure the confession of our faith is sin is sin. When I commit it, I'm guilty of sin. If I'm guilty of sin, I should feel guilty. And if that's the case, I need to repent and offer God the sacrifice of penitence and contrition. And that's all it costs you, just a little bit of humility. We need to make sure that when we open up the mouth of our confession, that it is not excuses. Well, God understands, this is my child. He understands my gross rebellion, neglect, and sinfulness. No, he doesn't. He knows you're rebellious. You can church it up any way you want to, talk about how hard it is, and he'll say, I guess I can't help you then. I guess I'm the God of the only what's possible. I'm not the God of the impossible. Jump to Luke chapter, uh, Sorry, Leviticus 16. Let's look at the next time the word confession or profession shows up. Leviticus chapter 16. We're going to do New American Standard again, Katie, up on the jumbotron. Here is the doctrine and in the institution of the scapegoat. Now, in the Hebrew, I love it because it literally just means the goat that leaves. And I thought, I have that in my church. (laughs) We have goats that just leave. And they usually walk away with sin on them, like the high priest was commanded to put both hands on the head of the goat that leaves, pronouncing all the sin of the nation, and then release them off to the wilderness where a lion can eat them. That's typically what happens when goats that leave, and they usually leave with sin, the common sin. This is talking about what would become a typology of Christ, who all of our sins were laid upon him, pronounced upon him, and he was let outside the camp, crucified at Calvary's cross. He becomes our scapegoat, our escape goat. He's the goat that escapes. Now it's a figure of speech. A scapegoat is somebody you blame everything on when you're a good manager or a politician. (laughs) So Leviticus chapter 16, uh, I'm going to start in verse 20, just because the the first 19 verses are what I just gave to you. Two, There's two goats. You draw straws for one. One's the Lord's. You sacrifice it as a sin offering. The other one becomes the scapegoat. This is on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Verse 20. When he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall offer the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wrongdoings Of the sons of Israel and all their unlawful acts regarding all their sins. And he shall place them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands ready. Then the goat shall carry on itself all their wrongdoings to an isolated territory. He shall release the goat in the wilderness. It becomes a beautiful typology of Jesus Christ taking all of our sins away to a distant place in the wilderness so that we can have access to God. But once again you see the doctrine of confession and it first relates to sin. Confess it. Father have mercy on me I was rude to my wife yesterday. Lord have mercy I was short with my children. We're not here to be sin conscious. We're here to be honest with God. That that keeps you in a humble place. When you know your weaknesses it keeps you safe. When you can acknowledge I struggle with this, Lord, when you can open up and be real instead of acting like you have it all together, like you're not the problem in your marriage when you are, or the problem in your parenting when you are. If you could just confess all your wrongdoings, Leviticus 6 says that we know, or Leviticus 5 says that we know. Confess what you know. It keeps you safe. Plus it makes you thankful that for all that God still loves you and uses you. Father, forgive me. Yeah, you know, Lord, I'm not perfect. You know that better than me. You know more stuff that I don't even know about, about my imperfections, but you still love me. You help me with my family and my my church and you help me write these books and you help me work out. Lord, you're good to me. Father, you know I'm struggle with this and this is my insecurity and this is an old sin I still look at from time to time and I struggle at it. Like, why is that still in my life? And, and Lord, you, you help me with my attitude here and you help me, Father, when I don't... If you can just be honest It'll bring so much of God's grace and His help into your life. The South, word of faith and hyper grace says, What's there to confess? I've I've done nothing wrong. And you make excuses. Oh, God understands. He under, no, He doesn't. He understands you're lawless. If we could just say, Lord, have mercy on me a sinner, I'm struggling. Lord, I want to obey. Help my unbelief. Lord, I want to obey. I don't know how to obey. Help me obey you instead of just making an excuse, thinking God's okay with it. We hold fast the confession of our faith, and that faith has first got to be, Lord, sin is sin. You're never going to smile upon fornication. You're never going to smile upon gay marriage. You're never going to smile upon sin. You're never going to smile upon alcohol. You're never going to smile upon housing prodigals. You're never going to smile upon lying or stealing or embezzling or fear. These are our sins, Lord. And I acknowledge them. I want you to know, Lord, I'm in agreement with you. This is in my life, and it's wrong. Help me. That's all he's looking for is agreement. But when he says it's a sin, and you say, no, it's not, you're no longer in agreement with God. When he says, put out the unclean thing, and you say, no, Lord, I think I'm going to aid and abet it, you're no longer in fellowship with God. And so your confession is not held fast. You've begun to take the pen of presumption and edit God's standard. That's dangerous. At the very least, say, Lord, I keep misspelling that word on your contract. They're like guarantee and restaurant. Where does the A and the U go? Yeah. I can't spell it right, but I can see when it's spelled wrong. Guarantee, restaurant. I don't think I've ever spelled guarantee right. I guarantee I've never spelled guarantee right. G A R G A U R A G U A R U N T. Don't speak any of those Latin languages. of my white privilege. It's delivered from that wicked continent. (laughs) When you start taking out the pen of presumption and self-righteousness and editing what he says is right and wrong, you and I, we're walking on cursed ground. We have to stay the the course. Now jump to Leviticus 26. We have more doctrine building on confession. Leviticus 26. Leviticus 26 is the precursor to Deuteronomy 28. We Hopefully you're all familiar with Deuteronomy 28. It lists the blessings of the law and the curses of the law. If you keep the law and obey God, and they're not hard, then all these blessings will come upon you. 16 verses of blessing. And then the next 70 verses are all the curses. So it's kind of heavy-handed. The blessings are relatively limited, and the curses are boundless. Leviticus 26 put forth the, the, that foundation before Deuteronomy was written and reemphasized it. But so in Leviticus 26, when you start off, it talks about don't make idols, keep the Sabbath. It's a, it begins to reiterate some of the law. And it says basically, if, if you break the law, your enemies will chase you. 500 will chase you. I'll turn, uh, I will turn toward you and make you um, fruitless. He says, if you don't obey me, uh, he's going to uh, summon sudden terror against you and consumption and fever it's all the curses It break down your pride of power I'll make your sky iron your earth like bronze um, you show hostility toward God and you're unwilling to obey him he will increase the plague on you seven times according to your sins he'll let loose the animals of the field they'll deprive you of your children and eliminate your cattle they'll reduce your numbers and so it's a bunch of bad bad curses and so finally uh, let me turn to it in my Bible because I had it marked there not on this app alone. All of this is being unleashed on the person who refuses to obey. Let's Let's start in verse 39. Leviticus 26, 39. So those of you who may be left will rot away because of their wrongdoing in the lands of your enemies, and all because of the wrongdoing of their forefathers, they will rot away with them. Verse 40. But if they confess their wrongdoing and the wrongdoing of their forefathers. Just acknowledge it. Daddy was a drunk. Daddy was abusive. I actually one time was meeting with the person and the Lord had dealt with me that their problem was that they were still idolizing their abusive dad. And they were in my office and I said, so they're, they're talking and they're defending their dad who's been dead. And the Lord kept dealing with me, they need to destroy the idol of their father. I said, all right, Lord, how would you have me do that? And the Lord directed me to destroy the image of their dad. So I said, let me stop you. Here's the problem. You still idolize your dad. Your dad's a disgusting human being. He's in hell now, and he deserves to be there. Your dad was abusive sexually, physically, and verbally. If he were alive today, I'd probably kill him myself just for you. He probably should have been tied between two trees and one of them cut down. That would have been a justifiable death for the pervert that your daddy was. And they said, you are making me very angry right now, Pastor. I said, I'm doing it on purpose because you are mocking my God by defending a total pervert. Your daddy was a demonized pervert, and you sit in my office and defend everything he should have been electrocuted for. If he was doing today what he did to you, Decades ago, the liberals themselves would have killed them. We know how compromised they are. But when a liberal kills somebody, that's a messed up person. And, and so what we had to do is help them confess, just call what your daddy did sin. Instead of defending the pervert and making a false idol out of him, say he was dirty. Be able to call a spade a spade, call balls and strikes. Daddy was great here. He messed up there. Mama was wonderful here. She was a little weird there. That's all the Lord's looking for. We don't have to intercede and make blood atonements for what we did to the Native Americans 150 years ago. Wasn't that already done a bunch? So when's it going to be enough? How about we just acknowledge that was messed up? I don't want any part in that. How many times we got to repent for the national sin of slavery? That's pretty messed up. It's wicked. When's it going to be enough money or enough ring kissing? Just acknowledge it. That was sinful, carnal, hateful, disgusting, demons, not God. Moving right along. So that's what verse 40 says. If they'll confess their wrongdoing and the wrongdoing of their forefathers in their unfaithfulness which they commit against me and also in their acting with hostility against me. I also was acting with hostility against them to bring them into the land of their enemies. Or if their uncircumcised heart is humbled so that they then make amends for their wrongdoing. Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I will remember also my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham as well, and I will remember the land, for the land will be abandoned by them and will restore its sabbaths while it was made desolate without them. All he says is, just confess where you're wrong, and the covenant will be remembered. Just confess where you sinned, and God will make things better. It should be very apparent then why the heresies of the day say, you don't have to confess anything. You don't have to say you're sorry. You don't have to confess anything to Jesus. He's already forgiven you. So if I come to that preacher, bloody his nose, and kick him in the gut while he's down, do I owe him an apology? Should I not just instantly be forgiven? That's lunacy. This doctrine, is very simple. It's, even though this is a law, it's abundant mercy here. Just say you're wrong. Just confess it. Say it. Say it. Say it. Honey, forgive me. I was acting like a jerk last night. That's all she wants to hear from you anyway. She just wants to know you're sorry for treating her the way you both know was wrong. That's all, that's all God wants. Just if God calls it an aardvark, call it an aardvark. You see the fruition of this lawlessness when we look at people and say, how do you identify? You can't house a prodigal and identify as a servant of God. You can't house the enemies of God and say, I'm right with him. This spirit is in the earth. It's taken it all the way to the biological sciences. Well, I have a penis, but I identify as a bleeder. Because these are terms they use now. And now we have birthing person. I have a womb, but I had a double mastectomy. And isn't it amazing? Men can give birth to babies now. We've always believed this. All God says is, look, just say it. Say it. Say it. Giraffe. Oh, is that so hard? It's a giraffe. Look at that. Angels. He said giraffe. Oh, actually one time I was in Kenya and I was using the point of learning how to confess the word of God and say his doctrine. And I I used the word hippopotamus because I know they cannot say hippopotamus. And I wasn't doing it to mock them you know, you don't do that. So I say, you know, when you've never heard a big complicated English word like hippopotamus, it's difficult to say it. So he's translating and he comes and says, kiboka, which is hippopotamus in Swahili. I said, no, 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 no. You say it in English. And he said, sir, I said, this is my point. Just work with me here, man. I said, if you've never said the word hippopotamus, it can be hard. So he understands it, but he can't say it. So he says, uh, You know, he's going off in Swahili and he comes to hippopotamus and everybody laughed because they realized he's never had to practice saying hippopotamus. So over the course of this, like 30, 40 minute sermon, I kept saying the word hippopotamus. And every time he said it, he would get a little bit better at it. And by the end, he said it flawlessly, which I set it up on purpose. And we did. Everybody cheered because they realized, By practice, you can be right. But if you practice wrong, you will affirm wrong. So he wanted to take the easy route and say kiboko, which is Swahili for hippopotamus, because he knows the word, it's easy. I didn't want that. I wanted him to say hippopotamus on purpose, knowing full well he's going to butcher it five or six times. So I kept using the word hippopotamus, forcing him to repeat it knowing he'd get better. I didn't know how long it would take him. But after about five or six uses of it, he was able to say, hippopotamus. And he said it with pride, and the people just cheered, and the point was driven home. You have to practice obedience to God. fits here this morning. If you can pee standing, you're a man, and God calls that good. And if you have to squat to pee, you're a woman, and God calls that good. And you don't house perverts or prodigals or Christ-mockers, and think you're going to be blessed. You're calling an aardvark a zebra, thinking God's okay with you, and you've let go the profession of your faith. So he says here, just confess your sin, and I'll remember the covenant. Just say giraffe, and I'll make it better for you. Just say, Lord, I'm wrong. Have mercy on me. Lord, I've made a mess. I don't even know how to clean it up. And he'll begin to make it better for you. It's always looking for is that humility. If you want to just write this down, Numbers 5.5 5 says, if you happen to embezzle money or steal from somebody, you realize you've done it. This will be good for you business owners and you tax evaders. And you tithe thieves. Numbers 5.5 5 says, when you realize you have been stealing materialistically, you're to confess your sin and pay interest. Pay reparations. You want to talk about a doctrine of reparations? Only the guy that stole has to pay biblically. With interest, he makes restitution. That's Numbers 5 5. Only the guy who defrauded the individual pays restitution to the individual he defrauded. If you've never defrauded anybody, you owe them nothing. So, this doctrine of reparations right now on the earth is demonic, it's not biblical. I like what one British person said recently on television. They said, well, if they're wanting reparations for slavery, hey, you should probably start at the top of the food chain and go to West Africa, because they're the ones that enslaved their own people, had them waiting in chains on the beach for the whites to come. So if you want to go, go to the top of the supply chain. But you know what? Nobody alive sold them. Nobody alive bought them. Nobody alive used them. So numbers five is applied to now, if you steal from your employee, make rest, confess make restitution with interest. You defraud the government, don't worry, they'll find you. (laughs) They'll make you restore with interest and some jail time. Deuteronomy 6, let's go to this one real quick. We use this one often. This is the first place it begins to change up. Here we go from making a confession of sin. We're talking about the doctrine of confession. Jesus Christ, the high priest of our confession. Hebrews is all about having a better high priest He's the one that receives our confession now. He may direct us to make restitution somehow or another. Maybe your heart won't leave you alone till you make restitution. Say, please forgive me. I did this. I want to make it up somehow. And you just, your heart won't leave you alone until you do it. So be it. But this is the first place the doctrine of confession departs from acknowledging sin and calling a spade a spade, an aardvark an aardvark, a giraffe a giraffe, and a zebra a zebra and begins to make a little bit of a difference. We know this with the offerings when we teach on Deuteronomy 6. It talks about taking your offering to the place the Lord calls you, putting it in a basket. Deuteronomy 26. I'll just read King James here. Um, verse 3, And thou shalt go unto the priest. There it is, the priest. Thou shalt go unto the priest that shall be in those days and shall say unto him, I profess this day unto the Lord thy God. Here we see the confession is made over the offering. Deuteronomy 26.3. I profess this day unto the Lord thy God that I am come into the country which the Lord thy God swear unto our fathers to give us. The priest shall take the basket out of thine hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord thy God. And thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God. And we teach you this on a regular basis. This is where you make a confession of your testimony as you give an offering. You don't have to do it every week. But what goes on for the next five or six verses is a replay of the lineage and history of Israel. A Syrian ready to die. That was Jacob. And Joseph. The confession is a a rehearsal of their testimony. You hold fast that too. That's what we start off by saying. You hold fast your testimony, your confession, your faith. You should practice giving your testimony. I got saved when I was seven. Who would have thought a seven year old boy was going to hell? But Jesus Christ showed me I was because of sin. And He delivered me and saved me and cleansed me. You got to rehearse your testimony. That's the confession of faith. You profess to the priest. Now Jesus is the high priest. I don't mind to hear your testimony, but I want to hear it every service. But Jesus will. He wants you to remind him, Lord, remember how you did this? That's the profession of your faith. Lord, remember how pagans ready to die was my family from middle Tennessee. You delivered us from the high and mighty pagan temple of Monterey, Mount Baal Monterey. (laughs) And you've brought us from a far distant land of pagans, strange tongue, strange, illegal, unlawful, illicit verb conjugation and misuse. Thank you, Jesus. Don't even know what to do with the teeth because all I grew up with was with a toothbrush. Somebody said, you can tell people that the guy that invented the toothbrush was from Mississippi because if it was invented in Tennessee, it'd be called the teeth brush. I guess everybody's got a redneck joke. (laughs) Romans 10, just to summarize here, we're wrapping it up. Romans 10 says, if you believe in your heart now and confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. The mouth, confession is made unto salvation. With the mouth, confession is made. We confess. And then your last verse is First John 1, 9. And this actually perfectly mirrors Numbers. I'm sorry, Leviticus 5. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That is the New Testament answer to Leviticus 5 you confess your sins. That means it's what you know. You can't confess sins you don't know. So that's number Leviticus 5 activated in the New Testament. In Leviticus 5, you could only confess and give an offering once you knew. That's all we're expected to confess today. You don't have to go looking for sin to confess. Just confess what you do know. That'll keep you plenty busy. Some of us, we, sometimes we start digging deeper. Is there something else? Is there something else? Is there something else? The Lord knows where you are, He'll get a hold of you when he wants you to clean something else up. But if we'll confess our known sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all. That means everything we don't know. What you didn't know, you did wrong. He'll, he'll cover all that just by confessing what you do know. So that's a wonderful verse of tremendous mercy and grace. But what happens if you refuse to acknowledge that where you are is sin? Then not only is that unforgiven, all unrighteousness still abides. That will be kryptonite that leeches your spiritual strength, fortitude, and momentum out of you. You can't call an aardvark a zebra and be washed of all unrighteousness. You have to call evil evil, sin sin, and let God cleanse you of everything else. So really, it's, it's pretty simple. You just acknowledge what you know to be wrong anyway. And we're all smart people in here. We're not confused on this. What's dangerous is when we start justifying why we have a right to identify the zebra as an aardvark. the aardvark as a zebra I'm telling you some of us may be flirting with spiritual transgenderism we'll just call it trans righteousness trans vindication I'm dirty but I identify as right I'm backslidden but I identify as right with God I'm a pervert but I identify as clean and holy you can't identify don't make you so we're disobeying God in my house but we identify as ministers of God we're obe- uh, disobedient and rebellious and dragging our feet, but we, we identify as someone right with God that hears from heaven. That's the lunacy in the air. We don't want to have our kite flying in that wind at all. Let God be true and every man a liar. Amen. Psalm 51 says, Lord, against you and you alone have I sinned and committed this transgression. Purge me, wash me, cleanse me. Help me, O oh God. And so that's what we do, church. We, we call evil, evil. We call good, good. If we're backslidden and we know it, at least say, "Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner." I don't think I'm ready to repent, but at least I want you to know this is wrong. At least acknowledge that it's wrong. Lord, I want to call it a zebra, but I know you call it an aardvark. It's an aardvark. It's an aardvark. It's an aardvark. It's an aardvark but Lord, I want to play with it like it's a zebra. At least be sane about the thing. Amen. Amen. That's the introduction to the doctrine of confession. Way before we ever get into name it, claim it, blab it, and grab it, say it, and rhyme something to get it. <laughs> There's a truth to it, not the direction it grew in the last 25 years. But the foundational doctrine of confession is sin. If you can't get that right, how will you even know what to pray? So let us be quick to repent. It's just as simple as saying, baby, I'm sorry. I I had attitude last night. or Gertie, I'm sorry. I cut that joke at your expense. Please forgive me. Let's be quick to repent. Practice being honest and truthful that way. Amen.